Welcome, everyone. This is the second show of uh, our podcast series, uh, ACIT. And today I'm joined by Kieran, the founder and CEO of EntoCycle, a company that we have invested a few years ago and that we are very proud to continue support as it continues to, to develop. So uh, today I'm, I'd like to obviously uh, discuss a bit about EntoCycle, but uh, probably more about your path, uh, Kieran, as a founder. I think we uh, everyone uh, will go and, and look at the, the great things you've built uh, with your team at EntoCycle, but uh, I think we want to also focus the discussion on, on your personal uh, journey and how you've managed to navigate the early stage of uh, creating a, a company and, uh, and now scaling it. Uh, I know there's been uh, a few milestones, interesting milestones uh, along the way, so that's uh, what uh, we hope to discuss today. Yeah, Charles, thank you very much for having me on. Great. And uh, so, Kieran, uh, maybe could you please uh, just uh, introduce well yourself very briefly, but then uh, maybe talk about uh, also what is uh, EntoCycle doing, and then uh, we'll go back to maybe how, how you got there in further details. And again, thank you very much for having me on. So absolute kind of pleasure to be here. And also, thank you for being like a strong supporter of the company. So as you said, my name is Kieran Olivares-Whitaker, and I'm the CEO and founder of EntoCycle. EntoCycle is the UK's leading insect technology company. We very much put the emphasis on technology. This was an industry that from in 2017, when the regulations changed, had to develop everything from scratch. So, you know, the inset landscape was new as a technology and as a process was new. But what we really focus on is computer vision powered hardware and software that actually monitors and manages billions of insects in real time. Now, why insects? Well, insects, A, they are the food source for the world. Two thirds of the world already eat insects. Every single animal eats insects. It's called fly fishing for a reason because that's how you catch salmon. You know, this is the food that animals and humans should be eating naturally. Instead, we ship products from all over the world and shove the wrong type of food into the wrong type of animal. And that causes issues, issues for the animal health, issues for human health. And so what we're talking about is creating a, a massive, a, you know, a multi-billion dollar industry on the back of what is actually a completely natural, normal animal insects. And to be able to do that at scale, you need the technology. And that's where we step in. So, you know, we like to think of we are the intel inside of the insect industry as it explodes. And that's where we are today. So we are just about to be commercializing globally. Yeah. And can you explain just quickly what kind of products you are commercializing? Because indeed, you are selling technology. You're not uh, selling just uh, the end product of uh, insect uh, protein, right? Absolutely. So... We have an entire suite of technologies that are all powered by what we call EntoSite. So that's kind of computer vision, hardware, software systems that manage these insects. And so we can sell individual pieces of equipment. So, for example, our, our first, well, our, one of our first two pieces of technology on the market is a neonate counter. So that counts tiny little insects the size of, size of a grain of sand and distributes them in real time. And that's really important because in any industry, whether it's farming or production, you need to know how many of the things that you have in your system are alive and well at any one time. So this is what the system does. And it removes the kind of human error and the, and the human manual handling that causes a lot of issues in this industry. We also have computer vision powered breeding cages. So think, I always jokingly say, think freshest week in the UK or think, think spring break in America. This is a perfect environment for insects to breed, to produce the next generation. And so again, it's because you're dealing with moving living organisms humans have a huge error when they try to manage that so again we employ computer vision systems to manage and monitor their health and their production in real time and so that is all wrapped around with a full breeding system but actually we are seeing the industry evolve into two market customer segments so customer segment a 
is your existing insect farmers who want upgrades. And then your customer segment B is your new market entrants, your waste management companies, your animal feed companies. They want full factory solutions. And we're ready to provide them with that. So we're having a really interesting projects in the Middle East already where we're going to be developing a full-scale factory. Yeah, because you use black solder flies, right? And they eat the food waste. Uh, so it can uh, obviously turn into uh, a quite virtuous uh, cycle and proposition, no? Absolutely. So, and the reason we use black soldier flies, they grow from just a, you know the size of a grain of sand into about two and a half centimeter protein bar in about 10 to 15 days. So it's a supercharged natural system. You've got it absolutely right. And the beauty of this, what we haven't discussed, is that it can eat food waste. It can eat organic waste streams. So it's not just a protein solver. It's also a waste solver creating a very closed loop system. And tell me, so uh, obviously, I love how you, you call this a protein bar, a two centimeters protein bar. But so what is the current perception around uh, using insects as a protein source? Uh, I know it's been widely spread into the animal feedstock. Uh, and as you said, it's just a natural continuation of animal nutrition. But uh, tell me about consumption for, for humans. And since you started the company in 2017, what kind of shifts have you seen uh, or helped or contribute to change in the perception of uh, insect proteins. Everyone gets excited about the direct-to-human market and it's coming, but I'll just take one step back, which is a good example. So the pet food industry. 2018, there were one brand on the market of pet food, and that was actually in the UK. Uh, roll forward now kind of four years later, and that one brand in the UK, Eura, they're now global. They're in every, you know, they're in every major market globally. Mars, Nestle, all the big players have moved into this space because they've seen a huge acceleration. So the pet food market has gone from a standing still start to what some analysis said is going to be kind of 10 to $15 billion. So that's insect-based pet food. And the reason why I've A said pet food is, well, one, we were fortunate to hire Will Bissett, one of the best and brightest out of that industry into the company on the commercial aspect. But also, it's a very good trend setting for where humans go. So the kind of, you know, the pet food is it's all about that, the poor print of your animal. And people care about how sustainable their animals are being fed. And as, as you know, as a society, we're becoming more caring about how we feed ourselves sustainably. So it's not just the food we eat. It's also the supply chains that provide that food. So accelerating that back up to, to humans, um, you know, it's really easy for people to imagine feeding your salmon, feeding your chickens and insects. But actually where we're now starting to see the human market grow is it's not just, you know, get me out of the jungle kind of uh, jokey insects. It's actually protein flowers that go into bread, biscuits, noodles, pasta. So you're getting your kind of your proper protein in, the, in a, you know, in a traditional food stock. Uh, you're now seeing very high-end luxury companies, especially in France, uh, you know, your mother language. They're uh, in high-end chocolates, high-end kind of luxury goods because you have novel proteins, novel textures, novel flavors. And this is all, you know, seeing both at the, the kind of the mass production end and also the luxury end. It's both entering the market. So I think with the European changing the legislation on insects over the last couple of years, you're going to see it coming more and more often, faster and faster into more and more markets. And that's where Intercycle fit into the supply chain because all these companies need the volume of insects and all of the producers need quality products to, to farm their insects. And that's exactly where we step in. Uh, no, that's very, very exciting. So tell me a little bit how you came to dedicate your time and energy. I mean, of course, we understood from what you said that it is a huge opportunity and one that is becoming more and more relevant, uh, given the, obviously the challenges we face uh, on the sustainability side. And so, but you started this 
already more than five years ago. Can you tell me a little bit that moment where you, you said, that's it, that this is, this is really what I want to uh, focus on um, and what led you there? Yeah, so there was not a single aha moment, which I think most founders love to, to like profess. The reality is so my background is <laughs> environmental design. I actually thought about starting a company like this at, at, uh, during my master's, but then I became a scuba diving instructor. So I actually went and traveled and lived in Southeast Asia, Central America, South America. And these are some of the most beautiful places on earth. But the reality is the coral reef is dead. There are, you know, the phrase plenty more fish in the sea doesn't exist. The latest data is we have fished 51% of all fish out of our ocean. And I could see it in my own eyes. There was no fish around. And then lastly, in these tropical regions, they have beautiful forests. And what do we do with these forests? We cut them down to make food, predominantly to feed animals. So we had this crazy, you know, like everywhere that I've seen this, it's just, it's devastation, degradation, damage. And I, I couldn't accept that anymore. On the other hand, we throw away like 30 to 40% of all the food we produce, which is, in, you know, that's insane. All the manures that come out of our, our animal farms that is then leaching into the rivers and then damaging the, the, the aquatic ecosystems. You know, we're doing just crazy things and I couldn't stop that. And I saw it again and again and again. And one day I just went, no, that's enough. I had quite a nice life. I lived on a beach in South America, in Central America. You know, and actually I said no. So one day I decided in a cold, wet January to move back to the UK and, be, and begin the, comp uh, the company. And that's taken me on an adventure quite, you know, we met in, in San Francisco. I've taken the company from multiple programs around multiple parts of the world. And, you know, that's where we are today. It's, it's a fantastic time to be involved in this industry. Well, I have to say, you know, I loved your vision when we first spoke, uh, and I think it's your enthusiasm as well that uh, really convinced me. And I think uh, that's often the case, right? Uh, when you're looking at uh, investing at such an early stage, uh, you obviously, I know it's cliche, everyone says it, but you have to be convinced by the founder. And in this case, it was you. Again, I know it's been, uh, well, like any entrepreneurial journey, it hasn't been just a straight uh, <laughs> a path. But uh, I guess, I've, is your passion for the opportunity still growing every day? Or has it has it changed into uh, maybe uh, something new? I mean, how would you compare yourself uh, today versus where you were, you know, five years ago when you decided to to tackle this? So that's a great and quite difficult question. So first things first, thanks very much. You know, when when we met you yourselves right at the beginning, <laughs> uh, you know, when you are, I've always said this that the phrase of building a company, like the the, the best analogy I can have it is like crossing a snowfield. Like you've got an entire path in front of you and every direction pretty much looks the same. And when you walk through the snow and you're meandering around or you're trying to get to and you or you beeline to a straight point, when you only when you turn around and can see the path you've taken, is it obvious? And then you turn around again and face another open snowfield. You know, there's there is there's this general direction, but there's no right path. I think that's really, really true with any startup and, and, and even more true in a kind of planet tech or sustainable tech industry, because you're, you're not just fighting against new technology, new processes, new ideas, but you're also having to fight against what is most of the case environmentally damaging and cheaper products or cheaper ways of doing stuff. You know, it's more sustainable right now to dredge the oceans empty from a carbon point of view than it is to, to create alternative proteins. But that's because you're ignoring all the CO2 that gets released by the boats. You're, you're ignoring all the environmental damage that was caused by the, the dredging nets. You're ignoring all the biodiversity loss from all the other animals in that ecosystem. And so, you know, if you, there's always this counterbalance. You have to fight, 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 fight. So I think for myself, 
the biggest difference has been at the beginning, you have to be able to be kind of average or just above average at everything. You have to be the tech guy. You have to be the IT guy. You have to be the sales guy. You have to be the fundraiser. You have to be the, the team. You have to be all these different roles. And as <laughs> you grow the company, you generally just keep hiring. One of the key things is hiring people who are significantly better than you at the things that you were doing. So I haven't touched a piece of engineering for four or five years. I haven't touched an insect in any kind of meaningful way in three or four years. And, you know, you go through this process of just stripping yourself away, stripping yourself away. And actually, I, you know, I think you may ask this later. One of the hardest points is actually often being the worst person in the company. You know, the, you're the worst at that particular task because you've deliberately brought someone in who's really good. And then you look at them and go, ah, well, okay, I've got to move now. So, but again, that's probably the right thing to be doing. Yeah, I think uh, it's uh, all the smartest founders uh, that I know want to make themselves redundant, right? And um, and from doing everything, they obviously uh, tend to lead on new initiatives and, and new projects. And as you said, then put the, the, the right people in to lead that. I know there's been some changes uh, in your plan because uh, I feel that, well, First, you felt that you had to build your own factory to prove the technology to customers. But obviously, and that's a, probably a long endeavor. And then, but you saw the, the market accelerating, I think, at the same time and decided to just double down on the licensing approach rather than uh, building, uh, in, investing a lot of capex and building your, your own farm. How have you, and we can talk about what motivated these decisions, but uh, I'm also interested in you as the leader and the CEO of the company. I mean, how have you shifted from what must have been a longstanding project to, you know what, actually we need to, the market's accelerating and we need to, to focus on, on, on that opportunity. I mean, uh, can you explain a bit maybe what motivated that, but also how you as a CEO have embarked in this? Because I believe also, and sorry, it's a long question, but I believe that uh, you have had started to build a team for building the first factory, right? And so uh, probably there's a lot of inertia in, in all of that. So again, how did you manage this? Again, great question. Like these are the questions we ask ourselves continuously. So I suppose there was, there was, there's a just been a natural tipping point in this industry. So, and that's come, you, you feel it even personally. So when I, probably when I founded a company just a, few, you know, a, a year or so prior to meeting yourself, when I was talking to friends, family, potential customers, potential partners around insects, they just looked at me like I was crazy, you know, like, what the hell are you talking about? And that kind of passion and drive and that vindication you have to, you know, you're not just trying to put, give someone a new app or help someone, you know, increase their sales with a, a smoother pipeline piece of software. You're actually trying to change hearts, minds, society, even regulation at some point. And so that kind of like blistering ignorance and blistering arrogance in a kind of way is required you just have that drive 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 because you know regulation when we first applied for the first permit to sell insects we were told by the regulators we don't even know what permit we have to give you so we had to work with them to then give us the right permits to then actually sign it and give it back so that's that kind of you know weird circle and the reason why i kind of said that is because this industry has now matured dramatically you are now seeing global you know big name companies entering in this space because they are they need to be able to process waste they need to guarantee their supply chains you know the issues in eastern europe at the moment uh with kind of droughts across south america with the Suez canal getting blocked with covid you've seen international supply chains getting obliterated and actually what that means is security and that that vertical integration is becoming more and more important and so 
you know, building a facility was at the time the right thing to do because it was needed to prove to the wider industry that this was going to be a successful industry. You've now seen the industry go, well, we know it's successful now. Now we need to start building. Now we need to start growing. Now we need to start scaling. Okay, how do we do that quickly? Well, we need a technology to do that. And so it's just been this natural ether, kind of natural flexibility of a company to be able to go, okay, well, like that was my path. And now this is going to be my path, you know, 45 degree tangent. That's quite hard to take. You know, it's quite hard to do because you have to then confirm it in yourself, then confirm it in the team, then confirm it in your kind of, you know, the people that you interact with. And all of that needs that kind of passion and drive. So the last part of the question is around the team. So the team is a really important one to get on side. But I think often when you hire people who are very mission aligned, so, you know, not everyone in the company is is 100% green because that's doesn't exist anywhere. But if you get people who are aligned with the mission of the company, with the beliefs of the company, with the kind of aims and goals of the company, you can help swing them. You can help, you know, it's easier to, to bring somebody along who believes in the overall mission than I'm really good at writing a piece of code that will, you know, that was, if you say I'm writing a piece of code that's really good for the environment, our target is to save a, nearly a million tons of CO2 in the next five years. And that's about deploying technology of partners. And if you have that kind of mission, then you can help move the company. And the reality is we're actually going to be building factories. We're just going to be building them with partners. So you still need the same team members in place as you were to build your own as you are to build partners. That's a lot of an answer. So, <laughs> No, thank you. But on a tough decision like this, or who do you refer to? Who, who are your good sparring partners, if I may say so, to help you take the, some of these tough decisions? So I think by hook or by crook, I've uh, been very lucky in some of the early hires that came into the company. So Matt Simmons, our CTO, is phenomenal. He's done an incredible amount of work, incredibly passion-driven and very you know very analytical because he, he's also come from the startup world previously as well. So I think that kind of uh, the ability to realize that you've done a massive piece of work and then actually have to dump that piece of work and, and, and go again. Again, very fortunate bringing Will Bissett into the company. So he he's come from the, the animal feed and the pet food world, specifically for insects. And, you know, it's grown com- new companies. And again, what, I mean, I could list an entire half the company who have been helpful. But again, our principal engineer, Paul Hillman, you know, he's incredibly technical as well as kind of commercially minded. And so you've got that. The, the answer is you ha- I have a core team around me who have helped come through those kind of hard decisions and hard times. And I think one of them is like be able to look as well. The last one was just like, you know, almost arguing with yourself that being able to go, okay, well, I put so much effort into this and now I need to bin that and go, and then bring the energy up to go in a completely different direction or, or a, you know, a big tangent. That's, that's a hard one. That's, that's really key is to be able to like pick yourself up, dust yourself down and, and go again and again and do that again and again and again. And it might be, I mean, we'll see, we'll see how it works, but you're about to close your Series A and we are a happy participant in that one. Was it very important for you, the nature of that lead investor uh, for the support and, and assistance that it can provide you in those tough decisions? Uh, or what's most important is that you get finance and have the means to, to continue on your plan? Like it's, it's probably 80, 20, isn't it? Reality, because you guys have got a business that you're running every single day. And, you know, there's only so much help and assistance you can provide. However, you know, the network effect is fantastic. So what do you want from an investor? You want someone who is a mission aligned and B believes in you that they're like, as far as you can, you know, if if you want a company that's going to say, especially in, in the kind of climate tech space, if they're going to come in and say, well, what you should be doing is making it as cheap as possible and use petrol, use as much oil as you want, you know, 
that's not what we're after. You know, if you lose 5% in efficiency, but you're actually able to maybe save, that leads to saving another, you know, half a million tons of CO2. That is a bigger picture. It like sustainability will only work if it's business minded. Absolutely. And that, that's like a guiding principle, but you do need that kind of bit of flex. And I think so having investors who are specifically kind of mission aligned and specifically climate tech focused, you're getting two things. One, you're getting that support around the decisions, but two is at this phase in the company's life, it's about introductions. So it's who can we then talk to? Who can you introduce us to? Who can you, you know, you you walk around with some of the bigger the the, the bigger people in this, some of the bigger companies and they're the ones that we need to target. So by using you guys as like the you know, standing on the shoulder of giants, if you want, uh, at this point is, is very strategically important. Thank you. As we're entering maybe the last stretch of, of our talk uh, today, I want to shift the conversation slightly to what kind of advice would you give to yourself or to a founder today? So the first thing is that it, you know, whether you're a first-time founder or you're thinking of becoming a first-time founder, it, it probably is the hardest thing you've ever done. It was the hardest thing you'll ever do. People say, you know, buying a house, having a kid, it's probably there or even higher than that in terms of its uh, difficulty because you've got so many challenges. You're gonna, you are going to face so many challenges, but it's half the fun in a way. You know, every single day is a, is a different challenge. There is no, it's not like you're sitting there doing the same thing you did last week. Like it's change upon change upon change. Your role changes, your projections change, your ambitions change. Your, I mean, I, I honestly, when I, before I met any of you guys, I wanted to raise $20,000. That was my first target. We raised two million on the seed round, like you know, just to show the scale and the ambition of what the differential. So that shouldn't be a marker, but it just it's a good example of how different the world is from day from one day to the next. The second one, I remember being told this from another founder, another very successful founder, is you need to find something that you have an outlet that and his was and his was swimming. So he said he goes swimming like four or five times a week. You can't think about anything. All you're doing, jump in the pool, you swim. And for me, it's it's football, soccer. Like I, for 90 minutes every week, I go and battle it out with other people on the pitch. And most of the time I lose and some of the time I win. And for two hours of the day, my brain is empty. I have that recharge. And I also do other sports, but having, you know, it could be meditation. It could be books. It could be yoga. It could be uh, long distance running, whatever it is, like having that and ha- keeping that space to yourself is so important. If I don't play football for a few weeks, I feel it. I, re- you know, mentally, I feel it. It's nothing to do with how old I'm getting or how <laughs> unphysical or even how bad I am. It's it's having that space and time. And so, if sports is the main outlet, have you also been able to nourish and nurture your personal life, uh, or has this taken a, a huge toll versus uh, the time you you're investing into the company? It does. Like it, it, it eats into your, um, your your personal relationships because you could be in the middle of a conversation with my, my girlfriend, for example, and I will just spin out into something that I didn't do that day or I have to do the next day. And then that, that trying to be present is something I'm trying to work on right now. So that actually that being present in the moment, because it's really easy to, to think, you know, another one I used to do when I was before meeting my, 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 my wonderful partner was Friday nights, have a pack of four beer and I'd sit at my desk and I'd make sure my inbox was empty. But, you know, I'd literally sit there 
and I don't have that time anymore. And so my inbox is it was getting overrun. So what did I do? I actually got someone in the company and him to help me manage my inbox now because there's just there's, you have to evolve, you have to change. You know, that's not healthy to sit on Friday night by yourself drinking a four pack. However, it means you get all the work done for the, it means you get all the work done for the weekend. You have the, the weekend clear. Yeah, I think like uh, but it has. And from a personal standpoint, I mean, obviously it's a long journey, as you said. And I think I, I you know, the common thread among all our founders, I think, is uh, they often say if they knew how hard it would be, they probably wouldn't have uh, started it. But a lot of them wish they had started earlier. So I think there's that paradox, right? Whereby it's uh, it's also a way of life. Uh, that's what I'm trying to to get to. Are you and obviously when you're building something as important and exciting, I think for all of us as as EntoCycle, hopefully that's also what helps uh, keep the motivation high even in those uh, in those times of challenges. But if you if you had to guess, do you think you'll be working on EntoCycles for many many years to to come? Uh, do you see this as as your life uh, mission? Yeah, have you have you thought about that? Yes, yeah, so I, th- I think the, the the best way to put it is that this industry is going so fast that. When you're thinking around like scaling and exiting, uh, the, the reality in this industry is probably exit because of the way that the, the, the you know the food and the feed and the the, the the landscape really is. You have a few really big players and they they start to gobble up the competition or they're looking at moving into new areas. But the interesting thing about the insect industry is that it where I once upon a time would have said it'd be animal feed companies or even pet food companies. Now you're seeing the waste management companies. Now you're seeing the human brands. Now you're even seeing the technology companies all vying into this space because insects are, are not just going to be a, a recycling technology or a food company so they are actually there's new pharmaceuticals there's new pharma products there's new chemicals and compounds so i think the insect industry itself is going to explode into multiple verticals and that's a very interesting from a tech position to be able to actually play across all those verticals so the, to answer your question directly no i see you know i, I see us growing at quite a rapid rate now into multiple countries and then seeing us actually being acquired or or joining forces with somebody else who who can actually spread this from you know millions of tons to billions of tons and that's where it gets really exciting but me personally i think around sustainability and around kind of new technologies yeah absolutely i'm i'm, I'm not going to step away from this at any point soon this is you know this is who i am i, I live eat breathe it and so i will always be doing it uh, well, thank you. Uh, I think uh, that's a, a great way for us to to conclude uh, our chat this morning. Thank you for for the time. And again, I invite everyone uh, who listens to our discussion to also go check out your technology and that what you've built. And uh, hopefully, it becomes more and more ubiquitous because uh, it is a global problem, a global opportunity. And we think that um, you are uh, indeed uniquely positioned. And uh, and I'll conclude uh, also by saying that. Uh, as I mentioned uh, uh, earlier, but uh, as an early stage investor, we are conscious that uh, we are embarking into a long journey with the with the founders, and it doesn't necessarily mean that we have to be uh, friends. Uh, that's not uh, that's not the goal of uh, of investing, but we certainly don't want to be supporting and investing to people that we don't um, admire. And um, and uh, really, uh, I think um, uh, seeing you navigating uh, these uh, past few years and and uh, with a smile on and and uh, always the same uh, level of, uh, of excitement and enthusiasm has definitely also fueled our enthusiasm to to support uh, to support you and, and, and your team. And so, uh, again, very excited to see that 
the, the journey is accelerating and also super excited for for what's what's coming because uh, I think um, it's going to be uh, very important for for all of us uh, so uh, so thank you for for everything you, you've done so far for you and your team and and uh, yes and uh, very excited for what's to come yeah thank you it's been amazing to have you guys as support so far and into the future cheers have a great day bye-bye that's great thank you <laughs> <laughs>